Yeah. Uh. Some of my peoples one time. What up, what up, what up, ladies and gentlemen? You are back with us again. This is Across the Intersection Podcast. This is AJ. I'm in here with Eve and Avery. What up, y'all? Hello, hello. So we are doing a new thing this week, guys. We got new we, we, we got new equipment. So if you hear Avery's voice a little different this week, it's only because I'm chasing out some new equipment. So Avery's calling in, yeah, because we are 21st century. So as always, yeah. you can hear our I'm illustrious... I'm, I'm, I'm calling us from outside the Matrix. <laughs> oh yeah, outside the matrix. There he is. He took the he took the red pill, so he's he's good. <laughs> um, so as always, you can listen to our illustrious podcast on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud. We are on all of those platforms. Um, if you are on iTunes, please give us a five star review. We would appreciate that on all the other platforms. Please subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. That helps us look nice and important and, you know, helps me when I start begging folks for money. No, I'm just kidding. And also tell your friends. Yeah. Tell, tell a friend to tell a friend. Tell a friend to tell a friend. I know a lot of times people get together and they have these discussions, you know, like you talk about these things and yeah, then you can yeah. say to your friend or your family member, whoever, look, this podcast it's that I listen dope. to, you know, <laughs> they talked about this as well. So check it out. Please. And as always, you can follow us on social media. Um, we are at Across This on Twitter and across the intersection on Facebook. Um, you can also follow us individually. I'm at Divinimus, D-I-V-E-N-O-M-O-U-S. That's on Facebook, Twitter, and the Grizzam. Hashtag as, the Grizzam. <laughs> as for me, E to the V to the E. I'm on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I go back and forth other than that. I want to promote my, uh, you know, the <laughs> I just want, you know, I want, I want the show to be well. So, why don't I go and follow across this on Twitter? <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, Avery, Avery promotes propaganda, so you don't want. No, I'm just kidding. No, nah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so. We thank y'all for rocking with us again. We, we we're back consistent. We we had taken a couple weeks off for the holidays, you know, but now we're we're back at it, nice and consistent, like. And uh, so we're going to get it in. Um, if you are on the East Coast in the northeastern quadrant, it's probably snowing because we're outside of Washington D.C. today, and it's a little light snow yeah, flurry. This, this is not snow, you know. I mean, well, it's know, a little something. The, but the people, folks down south are exactly, going crazy. Exactly. I'm talking about up here. You know, this isn't really snow, but the people in Atlanta are getting it, and then I think down in Texas. Some part of uh, yeah. Texas is getting it too. Now so. they're supposed to get like four to six inches, like between New York and Boston. Okay. Yeah. When? So like this same storm, it's hitting oh. the whole East Coast. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. So like down here, you know, DC, Baltimore, Philly, it's going to be like two inches, three inches. But the further north you go, it's supposed to get up to like almost six inches. Might so. I get a snow day coming up? Possibly. What do you think? I don't know. I know you don't get snow days. Yeah, you you say, guys are essential personnel. We got to get it in. So. <laughs> Work got to get done. So, anyway, so we're going to get it in this week, guys. Um, and, you know, there's a lot going on. Um, shout out to Dan. Hope you feel better, man. Hope Avery feels better. That's why he's calling in, guys. He's not feeling too well. And I'm not trying to catch that hizzy of. Um, <laughs> so, our friends um, over at The Root, one of Avery's favorite publications. <laughs> wong, wong. <laughs> um, they, they interviewed Gabrielle Union um, recently. 
and she had some thoughts about Me Too. You know, the hashtag Me Too, the individuals who were just named Time Magazine's People of the Year. I don't know if you heard about that. The whole Me Too movement people, who, the people who kind of launched it, um, they were named Time Magazine's People of the Year. Launched it in its current iteration, yeah, in as its opposed current. to a decade ago, you know, when other people, you hence, know, hence black Miss Union, Miss Union's interview. Okay. Yeah. So she, you know, the the crux of the uh, interview for her was kind of like, yeah, where were y'all when we were saying this kind of mm-hmm. stuff? And and uh, by we, I'm obviously talking about black women, even though I'm not a part of that demographic, but I want to feel like I'm a part of them. I'm vicariously. You're, like you're supporting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm you're a ally. friend. Exactly. You're an ally of black women. So she, yeah. she in made. In the words of uh, uh, Tumas liberation of uh, black people uh, won't go anywhere without the liberation of uh, black women. Precisely. Wow, that's dope. It's really deep. So she she said that, you know, she does empathize with the people that were, you know, that, that have been coming out over the last six months because she was saying how she had found herself crying just by reading some of the different stories. Um, but her her you know, emotion and her empathy was tempered. It was sort of tempered by the, you know, reality that everyone's story is not treated with the same level of urgency. And so she makes a couple statements in the interview. She says, um, she says that she believes the floodgates have now been opened for white women. She said, I don't think that it's a coincidence whose pain has been taken seriously whose pain we have shown historically and continue to show, whose pain is tolerable and whose pain is intolerable and whose pain needs to be addressed now. And I thought, wow, that, that is, uh, that's, those are pretty strong words. Those are, are pretty strong words. True words. I'm not calling them, you know, I'm not saying she's lying. But just to be honest, you normally don't hear people talk that strongly about things like this. You know, they kind of, it's always kind of like, oh, yeah, all women, we're all a sisterhood, that sort of thing. And to hear her make this stark contrast, like, no, when we say it, it's kind of not taken seriously and it's not, you know, looked at in the same light. So as the only woman here who can experience a yeah. Me Too situation. Yeah, it's really it's really painful, actually. I can see someone like Gabrielle Union who has experienced sexual assault and... Uh, it took a, long, a little bit of time for her to even expose that to the world. And then she is able to see the course of things over the, over the course of her career where black women have made statements about sexual assault and those things have, have really not been placed on the fore, haven't been given front page uh, status. But then when a critical mass of white women, especially white women with some kind of influence, have come forth then it's it's propped up and it's I could see there being a deep pain there even when you know American history and you know that this is an outgrowth of what has always been so there you know for most of American history or most of the history of us as Africans and as Europeans on this continent like we're talking early 1600s for most of that history black women's pain has been uh, considered there's been a question mark next to it. There's been assumptions that we can take more physical pain, that we do not have souls, that our emotions are either on one extreme or the other, either uh, hyper 
sensitive or or they don't count. They're discounted. Um, the, there was a time uh, during the 1800s uh, where we were basically uh, farmed out in terms of we were basically reproductive uh, machines uh, for the cause of the peculiar institution. And so quite it, it, even when you listen to Fannie Lou Hamer, when she was taken to jail, when she was protesting in favor of civil rights, uh, the way that she was treated by white men who had physical and institutional power over her, you know, of course, people being in law enforcement, uh, the way that she was treated by them is not the way that they treated white women. That, you know, there were, it, the white women over time have been placed on a pedestal, literally, the Columbia woman, et cetera. And, and, and the whole society was supposed to uh, honor white women as the pinnacle, the pinnacle in terms of beauty, in terms of uh, every possible standard. And when Fannie Lou Hamer, as an example, and she's just one of many, was uh, jailed and the way that she was treated and the way that she was, uh, the, the, the circumstances that she was jailed under and the beatings that she received. And when she would cower in one direction to protect one part of her body, she was kept from from even protecting her physical self. So we have, there's just all kinds of physical, emotional, and um, and psychological abuse that black women have gone through over centuries here. So one, one would think that what's going on now, especially for those of us with the education to know the backdrop, we would kind of see this as an, as an outgrowth. But even then, it's painful when you are a woman and you know that you're among a community of women, but then there's still stratification in terms of the way that we are um, treated and our concerns are being um, taken uh, by the rest of the, the society. Gabrielle Union has been beating the drum for this for those who are familiar. She's been, I, I mean, as long as I've known who she, who she was, I mean, you know, I you actually used to, I used to look favorably upon her. I thought she was pretty attractive. And, um, like, but just back from like, the Deliverance from Eva days, I don't think I remember that movie. Oh, yeah. yeah it's a throwback. Uh, Unfortunately, I got yeah. the throwback from that <laughs> because my name is Eva. Good grief. I was oh, glad yeah. when that movie that went away. <laughs> that is true. That is your name. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I I just, um, uh, actually, actually rose in popularity and then, when you hear about her, uh, her her story about how she used to work in retail, and I think that it was the, it was a uh, <clears throat> the store was closing, and something along those lines, and somebody came in and uh, assaulted her. Uh, this was prior to her getting into acting, as far as I can recall. Other other uh, other people correct me if I'm wrong. And. Uh, even up until last year, actually, I got a free ticket, and I went to go see The Birth of a Nation. Anybody know that movie? Oh, yeah, Remember of course. That? Of Remember course. That? Yeah, I, I got a free ticket to go see uh, early screening of Birth of a Nation. That was going to be 12 Years of Slave 2.0. It was going <laughs> to change everything. And so I wanted to go see it, and I thought it was a pretty good movie for the most part. And um, I saw, like, I really knew that. And I saw, like, you know, I know it's going to be a spoiler alert because, like, two people saw the movie. Uh, there was a race scene. And when I saw it, I immediately put two and two together, like, oh, well, um, you know, I know that she experienced that in real life, that she must be here um, 
making a statement. Also, in the movie, she never said a word. Her character never had any lines. So, uh, and that's, she was the most popular person in that movie. And, um, <clears throat> so she, she could have got top villain. But, but she was silent and, and her, what she was doing was she was playing the role, uh, she was giving her voice to the voices and, and being a symbol for all those people who've been attacked mm-hmm. that nobody thinks of or can't remember their names are not down in the angle of history. Yeah. And so, um, that's what her, that's what her role that's what that's what she's doing, and, and that movie also brought it it, it, it it shamed rape, and it brought ridicule to that to that activity, and it also brought retribution. And it, I, I found it unfortunate that for the very thing that uh, that movie one one of the subplots that that movie was trying to address and bring it to popular life uh, was the very thing that it was uh, that was used against. Uh, the movie to uh, to 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 discourage black people from seeing it, and it was uh, the accusations of the accusations of not being contrite about uh, a, a rape accusation yeah. by the you know a rape a rape a rape accusation that went to the to the producer of the movie, the executive producer of the movie, and actor, director, writer. Uh, which was uh, Parker. Nate Parker. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I found that to be unfortunate that uh, The Root, uh, right, right, people who are now writers for The Root, uh, discouraged people from seeing that movie yeah, it's because amazing. they felt they pulled at you. It was just amazing to me. It was amazing to me. Yeah. Because they discouraged people from seeing the movie. They, they themselves said they're not going to see the movie because they didn't, they didn't like how Nate Parker responded in interviews. Like he had put out a proper statement that um, they felt was uh, supported black women, and 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 he didn't he wasn't contrite in his apology, non-apology, uh, and and so they basically uh, accused him and found him guilty uh, again. Of course, just did it. They yeah, found him guilty again. All of a sudden, that happened in 1999. Exactly. Um, before many of them were probably even born, and. <laughs> Uh, not that, not that time, you know, uh, makes a difference. But no, but you know what? A time, time does make a difference because I think the the way that we view things and process things as we mature it changes. You know, you know, when you were young, you just out for blood. You remember when when, when you were like young believers? If somebody did something. We were out for blood, whereas like right. now, which is what those writers were. Exactly. Now you have a little bit more empathy. You be like, you know what? Think a little bit more. Not that you're, you know, giving people a pass, but you know things are a little bit more nuanced well, as you get I, older. I, I just, yeah, I, I hear what you. I, I hear that part. I also feel like, again, this is like the snake eating its own tail. That you know, these the, the like black people in an effort to. Uh, like be the um, ideal and to make you know try to make a statement like you're just cutting off young legs. Yeah, exactly. Because that movie is Gabrielle Union, who now like look what's happening now. The very thing that she was trying to give voice to that you all could have promoted, like Me Too was around back then. Like y'all could have been on that, but y'all just wanted to go for blood against Nate Parker for something that was stupid. 
the lack, you know, the, the lack of mm-hmm. sophistication just blew my mind. And there's some people I respect, some people I respect who actually decided against this movie and encouraged other people not to see it. Um, and a lot of people who I don't respect, but their lack of sophistication, their lack of ability to step back and see who the puppet master was in all of this or yeah. who the yeah. puppet master could be. Because for me, if there was even a slight possibility that some other interest was behind black people turning against a movie about Nat Turner, which is a story that is undertold. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and extremely important. If there was even a, a slither of of a of a, a possibility that some other interest was behind that a uh, wind of change turning on a Nat Turner movie. I would not open my mouth against it at all. In fact, I might buy extra tickets. Right. And it just blew my mind the way that people fell for that. And it made me question who was employing these folks or who was impact, who was yeah. influencing them. Uh, that that movie, I think, was solid. I think it was well done in a lot of ways. But It was Nat a good Turner, movie. Yeah, it was a really good movie. Nat Turner, uh, Denmark VC, um, Gabriel Prosser, you know, in North America, when it comes to slave revolts, we had so few because we were in the severe minority as opposed to in the other parts of the hemisphere. Each of those stories should be told over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, so, so their sophistication and lack or lack thereof in just having a knee jerk reaction to a case that had already been settled, you know, right. almost a generation prior. Um, Not only know, that, the, the the imagery of the title of the movie when you contrast it to the original birth of a nation that's like, another thing you're like it was it was it could have become a very important movie in, yes in terms of the theatrical arts when you look back like it it could have been in the same ilk like when we look back at like malcolm x and we look back at some of those movies where you just remember like yo remember that it could have been one of those movies but you know, as you both have stated, some of the loudest voices to say don't go see the movie were from black people, you know, and yes. like what you were just yes. saying, hey, you know, the the snake eating its own tail. It's like, uh, and that's where, you know, I wonder if people like Gabrielle Union are like, dang, you know, uh, probably oh. shit, you know. Wait, I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off. What? No, like, I'm what? just saying like, I wonder now in 2017, when you when you have Me Too and it's exploded the way that it has, I wonder if you you have people that look back like probably should have calmed down, you know, two, three years ago when that movie was out and you know Well it was last year. Was it last year? I felt like it was like two years 2016, ago. Oh, yeah. it was twenty sixteen? Oh. It was a year it came out like a year ago now. Oh, like and last holiday like season? October, December. Wow. Yeah. Felt like that don't happen two, three years ago. I'm going to remind myself no, to go no. and buy that DVD, by the way. But go ahead. <laughs> Shout out to Nate Parker. You can sponsor us anytime, brother. Not that I'm endorsing yeah. his acts. I'm just saying he can sponsor us, guys. That's all. <laughs> well, she she came out she came out with an article last year. Yeah. I remember, she yeah. was like, you know, she was like, she was, if I recall correctly, I think she said she was aware well, no, she, I don't. I think she, she may not have been aware to the depth of what took place, um, but she said that she felt like this movie. She said she felt like this. The reason why she chose the role, and she felt like you know this story needed to be told, and it highlights the you know it highlights the the the, 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 
the sin of rape and how, you know, it needs to be addressed. And, and that's, that's why she chose to play the role. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, 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 and that she, she came out with that after. And I was like, pe- people, because I remember seeing it on Twitter, people like, you know, these very small brothers or whatever, like, oh um, Damon Young and, and all of that, like, are, are, are tweeting, oh, I'm not going to go see this movie. And I, I allegedly, I'm going to say that because I ain't trying to, you know, you know, I didn't do that. I'm just saying allegedly, as I recall it, um, as I recall it, uh, they they were uh, tweeting against this movie. And then she came out with a with a response. And I remember, I, 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 I wrote a tweet. I was like, I wonder how Gabrielle Union feels about this. Like people protesting against this movie that speaks to the very thing that they try to say that the movie doesn't, or this they're trying to punish this person for trying, for they're punishing this person for essentially doing what it is that they're saying that he's not doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was just so ignorant. But anyway, <clears throat> um, shout out to shout out to Gabrielle Union. I agree uh, with everything with everything that that she was saying, and. Um, you know, it's unfortunate. I do think that this is a power grab. Uh, I I think that this is, um, you know, uh, this this not going to be the popular thing to say right here, but it's happening right in front of you. Uh, I think that this is a you know white white woman making a move for power. Um, I, I I think that I think that when you see <clears throat> when you see these replacements come, uh, you know, you see these white men out. And then they get replaced by like, okay, white woman, white woman, white woman, white woman, white woman. Okay, maybe like this sort of Pakistani sort of woman, white woman, white woman, white woman. I mean, it's a it's a uh, a, sh- a cultural shift that is happening, and it's happening in droves. But notice, notice that you know, like it's not like men being plugged in. Is anybody even talking about Terry Crews? Uh, it's not black women being plugged in unless they are white adjacent. Yep. You know, like Meghan Markle. Um, and it's 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 just, you know, this is not, I said this in the last podcast, this is not for us. This is not for, um, for Gabrielle. Yeah. And when we come around and we say like, oh, well, you know, we, 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 we go off hashtags and celebrity culture and, and mainstream news, and we say, oh, finally, we're getting justice. No, <laughs> Oh, finally! Right, who's the who's the we? <laughs> yeah, and and it's not to say that it's not a good thing happening, but just people have to understand, like you know, um, uh, you know, black Americans, you have to understand that you know, like everything that goes on here, just because it's happening here, doesn't like you got a front row seat, but it's not necessarily for you, you know. Um, no, you're you have right. To fight for your specific things. Yeah, this is the so. reason that when we need to take advantage of living in such an information-rich time and culture, and this is what we're about to. What I'm about to say is is for adults. Okay, preach because, on it, Matt. Preach you know, on it. Little children are are still developing in this area, but as adults, we should say, let's take a look at how we can take advantage of the fact that we have so much information out there. Okay, so then when a topic comes up, let's give it just a minimum of three different perspectives, okay? Let's not just feed ourselves uh, um, uh, talking heads that, that are basically yes-men to our egos and our imaginations and our, you know, our, our minds. No, let's look at it from 
a long view from a historical standpoint to understand where people are coming from, to understand how all of this even developed in the first place. Let's 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 look at that, and then let's also look at as an at an opposing point of view, somebody who we wouldn't even listen to, maybe maybe even someone or some uh, perspective from another country. You know, what does the BBC have to say about it? What do you hear about it from Nollywood? I don't know, some other perspective. And then let's find a third uh, perspective that uh, about this topic that we wouldn't have thought about, but so that we can synthesize it. We can look at different contemporary perspectives and different historical, uh, the historical backdrop so that you can form your own conclusion. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're just regurgitating and we're regurgitating again. And, and we're just sitting no. in a bunch yeah. of regurgitation of information that, that basically is feeding back. There's a feedback loop in our minds and nobody's thinking. We have to. We're adults. We need to get beyond that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it starts with just um, you know, from from when we're very young, right? Like, so when you were even when you grew up, you know, and I don't want to be a doctor. I want to be a scientist. Blah 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 blah. You mm-hmm. know, I want to be, uh, you know, make video games, whatever, whatever. It's like that's what we. It's it also when we're young, so we think that we can be all the things. Oh, you know, you could be president, but the, but historically, historically. Like, the only thing, like, the only place where black people can be all they can be is in the Army, you know? <laughs> like, you, when, and when after, you, after, like, 56. Right, yeah. and, and that's just recently. Yeah. Yeah, and that's just recently, right? You could be, oh, yeah, you can go out on the front lines. You, could, you, you, you know, you can use your body uh, to protect this institution, uh, whether it's militarily or uh, through entertainment, uh, through, through Or through acting, building the economy. Dancing. Through, through building the economy, through prison, yeah, um, uh, or open air slavery, or through you know sports, which is a form of entertainment. That's 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 historically um, where we could only be. You know, we could we could we could we could actually um, uh, uh, form some kind of uh, career for ourselves uh, outside of the church. You know, it's uh, and, it's funny. A you uh, brought up Terry Crews. There actually yeah. was an article this week on uh, BET where it talked about how Hollywood is actually kind of abandoning uh, Terry Crews. And, which um, was you know, what he was afraid of in the first place, which is why he yep. hesitated to say something about his, about the sexual uh, liberties that were taken uh, taken in, in his taken against him, you know, at that party. But then it's happening anyway. Well, no, because the the, the reason I bring it up is because the gentleman that he called out by name, that guy Adam something or other, I forget his last name. Adam Bennett. Yeah, that guy has to be fired. You, I don't know if y'all realize that these other cats have lost their jobs. Interesting. Right? This cat Adam is still working today, right now, as we're talking. Yeah, he that's still has a job. And those other people who have lost their jobs lost those jobs on accusations. Not right? all of them. Right. Some of them committed acts. Remember, we went no, through no, the no. List. But I'm saying that it initially, the, the reason that it right. came out was because it was an accusation. And it's the same thing that okay. Terry Crews okay. is doing against okay. this guy. So somebody might say, oh, Terry Crews, it was one man's word against the other. But some of these other folks who've lost their jobs lost it with one person's word against yeah, the yeah, other yeah. as well. So we're seeing, um, as usual, some sort of uh, a discrepancy in, in requirement yeah. uh, for someone to lose yeah, their it's, job. It's, it's sort of a disproportionate you know, way in which, and this is what I think that um, Gabrielle was trying to um, get into, you know, get into the thought of, of people by having this interview. Because what it, what it does for me, and just sort of as we kind of shift it, it sort of makes me think when 
we talked about last year. You know, we, you know, I know you were being funny talking about the oppression Olympics here, but you know, it's like when you kind of compare these things, you realize it's not necessarily oppression Olympics, but it's more so like what what are people's thoughts when the minority that we assume is the minority gets flipped on its head and it's no longer the minority. You know, when it when the minority, like Avery just said, is really out for a power grab. You know, when it's not necessarily the minority, quote unquote, anymore. It, it it is moving into the majority. And you know, this this sort of topic reminds me, and it, it's reminiscent of an article that happened earlier this year, um, with our friends over at the WNBA. Yeah. Right. So, you know, star WNBA, Candace Wiggins, she was uh, rookie of the year. She won sixth woman of the year, not six man, sixth woman of the year. So, I mean, this wasn't like a scrub, right? She was a, the, the number three overall pick back in 08. Um, for all you out there, I'm just blowing your mind with all my WNBA uh, facts here. Yeah, right? What you just blew my mind with was using the word scrub. I mean, it just reminded me of elementary school, you know, decades <laughs> upon decades ago. You know, if you shot bricks, you are a scrub. But anyway, she was me. no scrub. But she, you know, for she... Me. A what? Scrubini. Another way of saying scrub. Oh man, that's a I don't even know about that one. <laughs> scrubini, okay. Yeah, yeah she won a scrubini. But anyway, she, she was on um, so she won a championship with the Minnesota Lynx. You know, oh, she, the Lynx. Okay. Yeah, yeah, she was on that team that that won the title. So I mean, she was a she was a good player. She she was I mean in the upper echelon of the WNBA, and she abruptly retired in March of this year. Because um, she was only thirty, she, you know, she it wasn't like she was old. She was probably, she, was she yeah, she might have been actually twenty nine when she announced it. But when she actually was retired, she was thirty. So she, so essentially, that's still the prime of your career. You know, you don't come out of your prime until like your mid thirties. You know, thirty three ish is when you start coming out of your prime. You know, at, at least for men, I, it might be a little different for women. You know, having children and different things might do different things to your body, so it might be a little different. But usually for Male basketball players, they can stay in their prime until like 33, 34. But anyway, so she's 29, 30. So she's still in her prime. And she abruptly retires March of this year. And when she was interviewed by the um, San Diego Tribune as like, 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 what's up? Like, what's going on? She essentially goes into how she was, yeah, I don't really like this term, but I'm just going to use it just for to give people to understand. But she was bullied. So in, in, in her words, the, the vast majority of women in the WNBA are homosexual, and she is not. She's a straight woman, um, and so she felt like she had to be a survivor, her words, not mine, in that league um, because so many of the other women treated her, you know, she felt like it was a very, very hostile and harmful culture for her as a woman who was not homosexual in a league that she's stating is like 98% get, you know, homosexual. That's, again, these are her words, not mine. You know, we don't, I didn't look up any statistics, but she's saying that almost every woman that she came across, teammates, other teams, was gay. Yeah, I just find that interesting. I know that this is not the direction that we're going in, but but just being a person who played two years of high school basketball, I know that the Uh-oh. WN- Uh-oh. <laughs> the WNBA. <laughs> he, he, was, he was coming out of the time. <laughs> <right here. laughs> I played Uh-oh. basketball from the age of three until I was a teenager. I also played tennis and other things. But my point is, is that two years of high school basketball, we did pretty well in our league in New York. But I'm saying all this because I know that 
when you play high school basketball, you tend to move on to college basketball and you tend to move on to the NBA, the WNBA. Of course, if you have the talent to do so, of course, we're talking about a tiny percentage, but the pool that the WNBA comes from is high school is, is collegiate uh, basketball. And then the pool that collegiate basketball uh, comes from is high school. And when I look at my high school team, we were, I think if, if anything, we aired on the, we we were, we aired on the side of being highly straight. (laughs) I mean, you're talking about teenage girls. So, you know, so it, I, I can't even point to anybody on that team, uh, who, you know, went in that direction or were diverse in terms of, um, in terms of sexuality, we were all very, very straight. Yeah. Uh, if anything, I think there was a pregnancy or two. So, <laughs> so <laughs> a little but too straight. At the <laughs> sa- but at the same time, you know, we we played basket, we played ball. You know, so you know, I think that this speaks to something that we might want to get into in a different podcast, but just how, or in a different episode, which is just how society sometimes will take a behavior and will superimpose a sexual orientation on it when that has nothing to do. These are two different things. I think sometimes when children might be aggressive on a ball court, then from elementary school, they might, you know, seeds might be planted as to their sexuality, which they might end up embracing uh, at some later time. We had the liberty to be tough on the court. Uh, I got the wind knocked out on me in the quarter one one time. I mean, wow. we were, we played basketball, but we were still, you know, very much straight. And so it's just interesting to me that, you know, that if it's even true that such a high percentage of WNBA uh, players are homosexual, um, when, you know, at my little low level, which fed into a collegiate level, which fed into the NBA, had so few <laughs> homosexual or at least outwardly gay uh, girl. Now she was probably exaggerating a little bit. You know, I don't. Ninety eight percent is probably hyperbole, um, but only because I, you know, I have friends whose kids play female, you know, basketball, women's basketball at the collegiate level, who have expressed those same concerns. Um, so I, you know, I'm I'm okay in saying maybe it's a majority, but it might not be ninety eight percent. You know, majority. I think that's a, a much of a stretch, but the 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 point in just bringing this up is just again similar to Gabrielle Union. It 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 it's never discussed if you're in a majority homosexual environment and as a straight person you would be bullied or made to feel inadequate. But if it was the other way around, it would be everywhere. Oh my goodness, LGBT, you know, you're homophobe, this, that, and the third. But if I'm in an all homosexual environment as a straight person and I'm like, yo, I'm straight, like I don't get down like that, and I'm made to you know, feel inadequate. You don't hear about that. So she has to up and retire for people even to ask the question like, yo, what's going on? So I I give her uh, some credence only because she retired. Like she sacrificed her career. So I don't think people that she would have just done that just to be like, you know, whatever. It's, you know, similar to Kaepernick, right? He just sacrificed his career because obviously what he was doing, he felt that strongly about it. So I think I think she felt strong enough about it to want to be like, you know what, I'm going to retire. I mean, she's a four-time All-Star, won a title, won Rookie of the Year. I mean, so she's an accomplished player who decides to retire in her prime. So what makes you bring this up in light of, uh, in light of the topic regarding um, uh, what Gabrielle Union's remarks were? To make us look at these different types of, I don't want to say oppression, but just different types of oppression, for lack mm-hmm. of a better term, in a different light. To have empathy 
on different types of people. You know, for for a white female, right, to look at someone like Gabrielle Union and just say, hey, we're sisters, come on together. You remember that that women's march that happened right after Trump was elected? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw the picture that was circulating around social media. There was a black woman in that march mm-hmm. that had a sign up that said, I haven't forgot that 52% of y'all voted for this man. Mm-hmm. And she was walking around with like, no, no F's given type mm-hmm. face, you know, facial expression. <laughs> and but it's to say, hey, I know y'all are not thinking about me. So I'm gonna make sure that, that I remind you. And so similar to that, someone like a Candace Wiggins to say, hey, there's a majority, you know, in if, if I'm in an environment that's majority homosexual, I know y'all are not thinking about me as a straight woman because it, it's all about what you're thinking about. And so just similar in terms of we have to look at the whole spectrum and not just one specific, you know, one particular manifestation of it. Yeah. Look at the way this thing can manifest in multiple streams. That's that's why I think, you know, it's you know, it's not exactly the same, you know, no. but it, it is kind of related. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're kind of in the same pool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of people expect black women to always look at the 51% of the world that's women and say, no, we're all women, let's unite. But then uh, when the tables are turned, everyone else fractures themselves. So you have the white feminist movement that historically, and the white temperance movement and the white uh, female uh, um, movement uh, for the right to vote, uh, all of that basically dealt with issues that were prevalent with white women. They weren't thinking about Negro or colored women, as they were called at the time. And then even in this situation, uh, when you're talking about the, the uh, gay community, um, so the issue is is not necessarily, okay, let's all come together. Right. Because a lot of the issues that are being brought up are specific to a specific type of person, yet black women are asked to have their arms open to everyone. Like, would, would an LGBT organization be asked to support Candace Wiggins? See, the the way in which society expects black people to support these types of movements. Mm, good right? point. So you have a straight woman who's in an environment where she's like, listen, I'm in a majority homosexual environment and I'm being made to feel inadequate. I'm being made to feel, you know, isolated. Would an LGBT group organization, whatever, be coerced, right, be pressured into supporting her the way that, you know, blacks are, are so, you know, forced and sometimes, you know, pressured into having to support some of these other movements. Yeah, so. encourage. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, I, <clears throat> as far as, as far as like the, as far as the, um, the membership, like the percentage of people who identify with um, X particular sexuality as opposed to Y, uh, I think that uh, <clears throat> maybe, although maybe 98%, Maybe a little high. I mean, I play in WNBA, so she would know better than me, you know. Um, but, but I I do know that occupational segregation takes place uh, within the world, and occupational segregation, segregation is just not necessarily something by by race, although that is uh, a big part of it. Occupational segregation uh, is a form of um. Um, if it's not just outright, outright law is done by pattern matching. So, you know, if Cheryl Swoops was, 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 I mean, in the same instance that Michael Jordan and and um, a, the AAU structure causes these uh, agents in a funnel system that 
looks for uh, impoverished black kids to uh, <laughs> go to these specific colleges, and then they get, it gets concentrated, and then out of that pool, then comes your NBA draft in the same manner. In the same manner, I, I don't see why that would be any different for for the WNBA, you know. And although it's not necessarily said exactly, like if um, you know, they're probably looking for the most aggressive, right? That's a politically correct term, but, you know, a non-PC term is butch. It looks for, like, okay, so, you know, who's the most butch person, the most intimidating, you know, uh, woman? And, I mean, if you do that nine times out of ten, you know, most of those people are probably going to identify with, with lesbianism. So, um, I think that... Uh, Occupational segregation is the reason why you can be any black hood. You go to the Chinese restaurant and there's Chinese people working there. Anybody know where they live? Because I'm from the hood. I I never had a Chinese neighbor, but every time I go to a Chinese restaurant, not that I go often, but I jog past or I see them, like they employ themselves. And so that's again, that's a form of occupational segregation. Yeah. Uh, and so I just wanted to give a, a you know, a non-WNBA, non-black people, a, a, you know, uh, example of that. So, um, so yeah, so that, that would be my, my response. But I do think that it's related. I do think that it's very, uh, very related. I also want to give kudos for her um, to be able to uh, walk away from something that defined, you know, um, a lot of people looked at her to be this great basketball player and in her prime, as you said, is that she walked away. And she walked away for uh, something in which that she believed in. And it wasn't it wasn't just because of, you know, um, the, 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 the fact that she was around a bunch of gay people. It was the fact that she was unhappy. Right. And uh, she was being, she was, she, you know, she was being abused. And, um, you know, on the other side of that was like she, but the, the payoff was like fame and notoriety and whatnot, and she left it. Yeah. So um, I think that 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 is the even more nobler, um, uh, the more the more no, the even more noble jewel to be able to, to extract from the story. And people can go to her website at CandiceWiggins dot com. She has a she has an article on here called Better Because I Left, uh, and um. Our, from Candace, it's like CandaceWiggins dot com slash from dash Candace. But yeah, yeah, shout out to Candace Wiggins for real. No, no, dopely. I mean, that's and that's why you know I've I've said it before, and I'll just say it again. That's why a lot of times when it comes to these issues, man, I just don't I don't take my marching orders from the world, like because worldly people they always have their agenda. And I mean, I guess you say the same thing for Christian people too, but we're not supposed to. But it's like you know we we as believers, I like I can't take my marching orders from because. Everybody has an agenda, you know. Everybody has ulterior motives, you know. A lot of times, and so you know, somebody like a Candace Wiggins, who's you know made to have to you know retire because of a hostile work environment, or you know the Me Too hashtag thing that ignores misogynoir. If you want to look it up, it's actually a term <laughs> that is um, sexism specifically directed towards black women. Right. When they just kind of ignore that and just kind of look, you know, kind of look it off like a point guard not trying to pass the ball to a gunner on the court. 
right? We 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 just gotta take our marching orders from you know a, a different source. So. And then when it comes to an agenda, uh, as thinking people, if we're gonna have an agenda, just kind of keep in mind that uh, when you have tunnel vision, then there's gonna be some point where your agenda uh, contradicts itself. So if your if you claim that your overall agenda, for example, is to be uh, in favor of the oppressed, then you need to use that across the board, you know? So yeah. if, if you're yeah, part of the LGBTQ, com- et cetera, community, uh, then why not come to the defense of Candace Wiggins and say, well, we know what it's like to be, uh, bullied. So therefore we're going to be on the side of people who are bullied. Uh, and so that that's the that's the danger of having an agenda or at least having a tunnel vision agenda is if, if that's what your agenda is, then open up your arms and receive anyone who, who you can defend uh, under that umbrella. Are you lost in translation? Are you looking to expand your business to the booming Asian market? Let us introduce you to Sinotrans International at Sinotrans International. They are dedicated to becoming your bilingual gateway to bridge the language and cultural barrier between you and the booming Asian marketplace worldwide. Whatever your language needs are, Sinotrans has an international team of native experts who specialize in high quality, reliable, and accurate Asian language translation services for high tech, legal, commercial, and all major industries. Get in touch with Sinotrans today for a free quote. Call 650-856-0749 or visit them at www.sinotransinternational.com. That's S-I-N-O-T-R-A-N-S-I-N-T-L.com. Please support our sponsors the way they support this podcast and let them know you heard about them at Across the Intersection. So yeah, so our our friends over at TV One this week um, have canceled Mr. Roland Martin's uh, television show. Um, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna sit here and say I was an avid watcher because obviously I got to go to work, so I wasn't <laughs> so watching on News One, News One, yeah, New, Roland yeah News okay. One with Roland Martin. Um, okay. You know that that was can or the announcement was made. It hasn't been canceled. Let me let me dial that back. The announcement was made this week that at the end of the month, um, his show will end. It's like December 27th or something like that, I believe it is. Due to budget cuts, according to the network. According to the network, due to budget cuts, um, his show will be discontinued, right? (laughs) His services will no longer be needed, like they tell coaches in the NBA. Your services will no longer be needed. Now, I just, you know, for me, I had a couple thoughts. One, like I said, because I wasn't an avid watcher, because obviously it comes on at like ten o'clock in the morning, and I'm usually at work. Seven uh, o'clock, yeah. <laughs> um, but his his show was just um, increased to two hours recently. Like it, it had huh. just the the announcement was just made recently that his show would go from one to two hours, and so I just find it interesting that like literally you just recently announced the show was going to have a two hour time slot. And then, like a couple months later, you're like, "Oh yeah, now we're going to cancel it because of budget cuts." That is interesting. So that I thought was interesting. Um, the other, the other part of it is, you know, when I did watch his show, it, he was, you know, Roland is very opinionated. 
It's a so as opposed to some of the other news shows that I that, that I used to watch very you know frequently, the hosts were not as opinionated. Say for Fox, I mean Fox, most of those guys have, <laughs> but which is why I didn't. I don't really watch Fox or MSNBC. Um, I will watch CNN. CNN, I will watch. Um, it kind of gives you more of a middle of the road type of presentation, and so their hosts are not as opinionated as you know as Fox and and MSNBC. But Roland was a little bit more opinionated, um, and so I could. The, I, I'm, the only reason I'm saying that is because I could see him not being everybody's cup of tea. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to win a Pulitzer uh, for this, um, but, I, you know, I did admire certain things about his show. Uh, I liked that he talked about a lot of topics that were not coming out in the mainstream. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Second of all, I liked his use of social media. I liked that he was on Periscope on a regular basis and on, uh, he was broadcasting on a lot of different, uh, on, on Facebook Live, on Periscope, he was on social media. He was making use of, I think he brought a lot to that network, mm-hmm. just in terms of the way that he diversified, the way the, that he was uh, putting his, his news and opinions out there. He used YouTube a lot, that sort of thing. So there's a lot a lot to, to admire, but, but no, he's... Um, he definitely isn't a Pulitzer Prize winner for this particular effort, um, but I think that there's some deeper issues that we want to get into about about right. this uh, cancellation. So this so this goes into my you know some some thoughts about black ownership because TV One for those who don't know TV One is a black owned network, um, and obviously his show was called News One you know in you know in the line of TV One, um, but it. it it gives me thoughts on, and it, you know, gave us all thoughts on black ownership versus black management versus just a show that's trying to target black people, right? Like those are three different things, three starkly different things, and sometimes they all kind of get lumped together. Like we think if a, you know, a network is is trying to, you know, target the quote-unquote urban audience, you know how we call it, the urban audience. <laughs> like, I, you know, I was just watching, by the way, it's one of my favorite shows on that network, Unsung. I really like that show. Oh, yeah. But um, they had a recent episode um, on Unsung Hollywood about New York Undercover. The, remember New York Undercover oh, with yes. uh, Malik Yoba and oh, Michael yeah. DeLorenzo, right? They were talking about Fox, because if you remember Fox from the early 90s, right, people used to refer to Fox as the black network. Because all their hit shows from the early 90s were all black shows. We're not talking about Fox News folks. Not Fox yeah. News okay. people. We're talking about the regular Fox that came out. This is before the cable news cycle that we know of today came out. For those of you who are Gen, Gen X and were coming into consciousness late 80s, early 90s, you remember a different Fox, right? You remember Martin and In Living Color and Living Single, right? And New York, under, like yeah. that was the Fox that you knew from the early 90s. And so they referenced that on the, now why am I bringing that up? Because Fox was not a black network, yet it was referred black to. Black owned, it wasn't yeah. black owned, wasn't it black wasn't black owned. managed. Nor was it black managed. It was just targeting the quote unquote black audience. It was targeting. Black you know, what, targeted. Yeah, it was black targeted. So people referred to Fox because they even said it on the little thing. Fox, they thought Fox was the black network, you know, because all the black shows. <laughs> it's kind of like, but now, you know, as, as an adult, you realize, no, they were just talking. So that's related to Roland Martin only because the network TV one might be black owned, but is it black managed? Or was it just 
putting on a black news show to try to target that black intellectual audience. I think we're bringing up, Avery, I'm going to pass the baton to you in just a second, but I just wanted to say, um, this is something that I actually do not hear discussed, which is part of the reason we have this podcast in the first place. I do not, I actually do not hear a lot of discussion about the distinction between black ownership and black management and having a black target audience. And one thing that struck me when Avery spoke uh, a while before we, we actually started uh, broadcasting today. Pre-production, is, use the fancy <laughs> term. No, uh, But, you know, is that I wasn't even thinking, you know, title is the first thing that came to mind when we know it's Jay-Z owned and then you looked at his staff and I see near a black face. But, um, but that was the only example that I had just in my personal memory of there being black ownership and a lack of black management, which might have some connection to the type of shows that stay on and the type of shows that get canceled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, again, um, occupational segregation is right there. So I remember Jay-Z acquired Title. Title was a uh, um, company out of Europe. Okay. So, you know, she bought it, but he's just not going to fire, you know, everybody some black people on there. He's like, no, nah, y'all just do what y'all do. But that that's still um <clears throat> that's still that still definitely illustrates what it is that you were saying. Yeah, so black targeted black targeted is no a black targeted station is no different than a black targeted product. It's no different than an advertising agency that says, Well, you know, how do we sell to the blacks? It's, <laughs> it's, it's no, the Negro audience the blacks. Yeah, not, no, it sounds like forty five yeah. and forty five. Like the blacks love me. The blacks. Yeah, yeah. It's no, it's no different. It's the same exact thing. It, it, it is the black brat. I don't know if you all know the little brat toys and it's like the one black one. It's that, you know, the one <laughs> black character. You know, it, it, it's. Uh, it's Falcon it's on the Avengers. Thing. Is that what you're saying? It's Falcon on the Avengers. It's the Black Panther. It's because uh, Black Panther is created by Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's Lucas from Stranger Things, which you know, love the TV show. Is it Buckwheat uh, it, from our parents' generation? Buckwheat from Buckwheat. Uh... It's, I mean, it's pretty much it. It it's uh, Andy. You know, like go to go to your Target aisle and tar- Target Target um um a cosmetic aisle, and you know whatever L'Oreal makes for normal skin and dark skin from dark <laughs> to normal skin. Normal. Like you exactly. So that's what black targeted advertising is and black targeted stations and black targeted uh and I mean it's the music. It's it's people assume people assume that when you watch a music video, or like even when you watch sports and because a black person takes up most of the space of whatever's in frame, there's this not there's not even a thought of like, well, who's behind the camera? And for the most part, I can tell you that it's probably a white person filming as a cinematographer. It's probably a white person writing the character. It's probably a white person doing a casting call. It's certainly a white person uh, as a producer, as, an, as a producer coming up with the budget. It's certainly an, a white person as an executive producer that's funding the effort. And so um, we, we, that's, that's, the, that's black targeted. Black ownership is exactly what it sounds like, and that is that there's a black person or a group of black people that is a, that is responsible for uh, the ups and downs of this business. And as this business grows, 
then the value of that black person past that growth and as it decreases and the value of that black person past it uh, it goes down. Well, in light of what you're... In light of what you're mm-hmm. saying, should we be smelling a CO conspiracy? Because this, this this distinction that you're making, you know, if Roland Martin were really, you know, takes takes me back to Arsenio Hall after he after he invited uh, Louis Farrakhan, or or back to a uh, different world after you know the the, the riots, riots yeah, were, you know, were, were profiled. So the question uh, that I'm asking becomes, you know, do we smell a CO conspiracy? So Roland Martin does bring up topics, whether we talk about his journalism or his bias uh, or not, he does bring up topics on this show that aren't brought up in the mainstream media in a perspective that isn't brought up. And he has his cast of characters on the side who, you know, speak in vernacular, honestly, regardless of they, whether they have a PhD yeah, yeah, or yeah. no D. And so it's a different type of show. And so my question is, even though Kathy Hughes and her son might own it, uh, uh, they own it and they're living their lives. But then there's management. Do you, you think know, that TV One is like title? I, in terms I, of its structure, I'm just you know. Well, no, no, I, I, I. Well, that's the thing. I don't know if it's black managed. I actually don't know that, and uh, Avery uh, probably has something to say to that. But my question is, uh, if it isn't black managed, is it possible that management made a decision about this particular show because of some kind of bias that has nothing to do with its black ownership, but has more to do with its management? Um. Well, I w- I would say that it probably has to do with um shareholder revenue and then trying to meet particular goals. And mm-hmm. so um, TV1 TV is black-owned and is black-targeted, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't, it doesn't, it, it, if there's, if TV1 is is not above the law that exists in this country, and that is, um, uh, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a society where businesses are, um, they participate in capitalism. And so if they're trying to meet particular goals um, and the, the, those, those financial goals, if you're trying to have the broadest amount of people, then you just unfortunately have to water down your message. And so, um, <clears throat> and so news topics for the black community, informing the black community, is in, uh, un- unfortunately, uh, to, to have a to have an educated black populace is in direct conflict. It's in it's in direct conflict to to um to to a stable white society. Hmm. Uh, when we when we both live in the same you know in the, in, in the same final land um, because of how historically it's built up built up on our failure. So you know there's only but so much you can do um, before. You know, like it's going to start to affect your numbers. Would you uh, say that? Numbers. Would you say that one thing we can do, those of us who have who are middle class Black people, which is you know the poverty rate for us is about twenty seven percent, so that brings up the majority of Black people are not below the poverty level. And when you talk about the those of us within that number that have some even smidgen of disposable income in order to make investments, does that tell us those of us who invest who you know, who do something with our money besides spend it, does it tell us, well, why don't we buy shares in black organizations and, I'm sorry, black companies that are publicly traded so that we can have a little bit more well, to say about well, these types of choices? Well, well, one, well, one um, the poverty line is $12,000. Uh, the median household income 
of a black family is $36,000. So although somebody may not necessarily be uh, by the by, by the uh, uh, the the Health and Human Services uh, Agency, they might not necessarily be considered in poverty. Thirty six thousand dollars is not a lot of money, and so um, that in, in my book, that's still poor. So, um, with that said, though, to answer your question, we yeah. do uh, buy shares. Uh, we for people who participate in four hundred one k's. And for people who have IRA, uh, pass, that passive investment, that is a national push. It's a, it's, it's when you work a more, more than likely, you know, if you get a white collar job, then you do participate, uh, in the purchasing of shares. You just don't know. Uh, and, but, but that, that, that's what your mutual fund is. That's what your 401k, that's exactly what it does. Um, uh, but you don't have as much say. Uh, you do have some say. As far as like what you want to what what funds you want to participate in versus ones you don't, but you can't get into the nitty gritty, unfortunately, because it's a, it's a somebody else uh, managing like a group of companies. So, uh, so so, but but to answer your question, people do people do do that uh, when it comes out of their their money um, from where they work. Now the question is, is that well, how many black how many black people want it? Uh, educated enough to know that. But then, too, like, there's a lot of black people who don't qualify for that because they don't have those jobs. And the jobs that they do do, do have are servile-based jobs. Uh, they're hourly, they're blue-collar, they're these uh, government jobs, uh, like the job in the bus or your, your trash, your civil servant jobs, which might also 401k uh, or 401k equivalent. But, uh, you know, that that... We ain't got the juice like that. I mean, you can buy stocks goes. outside of the outside of the share the the mutual system, and um, but but I, I think I agree with you in the sense that I think Americans in general, not just Black Americans, but Americans in general, um, are undereducated about the way to use their their money. Um, I'm just wondering if if a higher percentage of us who have a disposable income would be you so know above thirty six thousand dollars. So like, what are we talking? Well, I mean, of course, disposable income determine you know is more based on how much you know you is more based on how much you spend versus take in as opposed to how much you actually bring in. Uh, so you know, some people who are make ninety thousand dollars but are maxed to that point, you know, don't have disposable income. But what I'm just saying that um, as a culture, you know, I mean, is it possible that when you have a publicly traded black company uh, that you can actually go and buy? stocks directly instead of having to depend on mutual funds. And I know that that is a different podcast episode, but I think that, you know, since the resurrection of Black Wall Street is taking place, we just need to think of a variety of ways that we can control our own destinies and control the public relations about us that goes out all across the world. Okay, so so to get specific, you can buy a stock, right? But, like... Or 10 or 50 or 100. Well, I mean... Well, I mean, like you—that's what you say in theory, but you have to look at the reality. If a stock is fifty dollars a share mm-hmm. or a hundred dollars a share, like Visa is, how many people just have a hundred dollars like that to play a long game? Like, you know, you, for those who have ninety thousand dollars or more, as you brought up, like the median household income for a white person is seventy-seven thousand dollars. Median household income for a black person. Uh, or a black household, thirty-six thousand dollars. 
$36,000 a year. So um, unless you're living for free and you have, like, no expenses, you're not, pay, you're not paying rent, you know, like, a lot of that is, like, outside of people's capabilities to, to, to purchase. I mean, you know, the only way you can buy, like, a thousand, like you said, is if it's, like, a penny stock or something. Yeah, you know, buy buy low, sell high type. Thing. So, are what are you? So, you what you guys are trying to get at is, are you trying to? And I want to make sure that I understand what y'all are asking. So, that there would be enough clout in quote unquote Black America to say buy enough stock in TV One, right? I mean, like really, like long big picture to say, hey, we want to pressure Kathy Hughes and her so son. Let me, okay, to, so let's just cut to the chase. All right, Jesse Jackson did exactly that with Operation Wall Street in the nineties. Has anybody heard of Operation Wall Street? No, I've never heard of Operation Wall Street. Okay, then. I've heard heard of Operation Operation Rainbow Push from Jesse Jackson. Or maybe this is... Have you heard of Operation Wall Street? No, I don't know. Was that uh, outgrowth of Rainbow Push? Um, um, Talk to us. Operation Wall Street was Jesse Jackson taking that exact philosophy of saying that, okay, the third stage of the civil rights movement is supposed to be economic. <laughs> and, it should be the first stage. I'm sorry. And, go ahead. And, and and black black people cannot achieve like true uh, uh, true parity uh, with with white people with with without having access to capital. And so what he used to do was he would buy up stocks to companies. Right? He would buy stocks like just a little bit because I mean people don't have it like they're the only. It's so hard to explain if you just can't see it. Like, you gotta move, you gotta remove trying to be positive about the situation and look at actual numbers. In order to make it on the stock, in order to make it in the stock market, you must already have money, enough yeah. money to lose, yeah. enough money to buy a whole bunch of stocks, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to, to so, so that when that percentage goes up, uh, 5%, 10%, 15%, whatever it was, like, it's a huge outpouring to you. So you already have to have like $100,000 available in order for 10 to 15% to even make a real dent in your living situation. So, you know, 10 to 15% of a dollar is just 15 cents. It's, like it's not a lot yeah. of money. So, so but what, what, what it does give you, though, and what he did do was he purchased, he would purchase these small shares, and that would give him enough. Uh, that 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 would or he would he would purchase the minimum amount of shares necessary in order to give him access into the uh, annual meeting, the annual shareholder yeah. meeting. And so and so what he would do is then go to the an, annual shareholder meeting to of said particular company and then plead the case for that company to 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 uh, to to target black people or to hire more black people or to invest in more black people. That's what he would do. Mm. That's exactly what Operation Wall Street was. That was one of the strategies of Operation Wall Street. So I, I, I just looked it up, and it's um it's actually still ongoing. Okay. It's called the the Rainbow Push Wall Street Project. Okay. And they actually have yeah, the twenty yeah, and they actually have yeah. the twenty uh, first annual Wall Street Economic Summit going on in February. Oh, but what's but what's the what are the numbers there? Because obviously, Wall, uh, Jesse Jackson being a lone you know person um, doing this, of course, this doesn't work unless it's en masse. And my question is, how many people are? I don't know if that that website has told you how many people are actually involved. Uh, but no, I mean I don't know how. But I mean just to to speak to Avery's point because mm-hmm. it, it started in '97, so Avery's right up. Well, '96. 
um, by Jesse Jackson, you know, to to do what Avery was just saying, and I didn't really I, like. I mean, I'll be honest, I was ignorant to to it. I had yeah. no idea that that it was it's an accent that I'm probably going to look more into. Um, but I I think that more th- more things like that should happen so that because you know think about it when different things happen just in dominant culture right in majority culture there's enough groundswell support that all of a sudden they change course so to speak more to this Roland Martin TV one point is would there be enough using your theory would there be enough you know groundswell support from shareholders or people who invest or you know people who do whatever to say hey Kathy you guys should pay attention we really want you guys to reconsider right keeping Roland show on the air that because that 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 has happened when they were going to cancel that Fox was going to cancel America's most wanted back in the 90s and there was literally enough groundswell support that they kept it on the air for like another 10 years I mean I have to understand this numbers don't lie all right it's White people are 63% of the population of the United States. Black people are 13.3% of the population of the United States. 10% of white people is larger than 10% of black people. When a, a small amount of white people get upset, that's small in comparison to the, to the percentage of how many of them are here. When there's a small amount of black people we're already, even when there's a whole bunch of black people, most black people still a small amount in comparison to the population of this country. It does, like, it, the numbers don't add up. The only way it can work, the only, like, like, Marcus Garvey and Garveyism talks about exactly this, the only way that that can work is that if black people have a home country or a homeland, if black Americans can be backed by a larger population, that can that can compete numbers wise, percentage wise. That can compete in the return of the from the investment. That can compete with the sixty three percent. Then no, no. Like it, it just you can't compare Americans. We can't compare something that's white targeted to something that's black targeted in this country because of the size of the population. It's funny that you just said that, Avery, because I actually was watching um, a Breakfast Club interview with Saha the Prince, the rapper. Um, and Ooh. he Saha the Prince. Okay. And it was, and I know we we kind of getting off, guys. We're going to get back to Roland Martin, but I thought this was apropos to what Avery just said because it it reminded me the interview with Saha the Prince reminded me of another interview that I watched last year with Jahenna, the Jadena, singer Jadena. or Jadena, excuse me, not Jahenna, Jadena. Jahenna. Did he smoke the henna? Jadena, excuse Jadena. me, because I I mess yeah, with Jadena. Nigerian. Yeah. He's not really a rapper. Yeah, he's kind of singer, rapper, sing songy, yeah. whatever. Yeah. But mm, he, classic man. But Saha was saying yeah. some of the same things in which Jadena was saying um last year when I watched another interview with Jadena, because Jadena was saying how he's encouraging a lot of black business owners and a lot of black entertainers to invest in Africa. Because he was like, you know, black Americans economically should have a stake in the African continent. And so, and that was like a year ago. And then um, Saha was interviewed this week by Breakfast Club, and he was saying same thing. He was like, "You can't really have a true black-owned business that does not have an economic connection to the continent." And I'm like, I'm so, I was shocked to hear that out of a rapper's mouth. 
you know, you I would have expected to hear like a business person wait, wait, to say that. You're a rapper. Wait, wait, you're a rapper. So I'm you a, know, rappers ref- come in many many <laughs> distinctions. You know, they're not just the you know the ignorant people that the you're, you're, and you're, larger you're right. society likes to put out as being rappers. You're but right. that is an interesting point because even if I have a business and my business has a physical location. Do I own the building that my business is in and do I own the land under it? And if I don't, how much business am I really in? Or even if I have a uh, e-commerce store that sells some particular product, do I own the means of production? And even if I did, do I own the actual um, raw material? So when we talk about Africa and the fact that there are a billion people there and it's 11 million square miles, okay, we can talk. And I'm, I'm feeling what you're saying regarding uh, regarding that type of idea, Avery. Uh, but no. So I think that the, the, the two people you're talking about pointing back to the continent of our yeah. ancestors, uh, I think there's something to be said to that. Because what Sahai said was the moment you, you know, for a black American, the moment they start to smell themselves and start to get a little something, they immediately look to Europe or even to China to, to try to go and plant some some roots. And he was just saying how, you know, why don't we look to plant on the continent? You know, why don't we send that money to Ghana? Or, you know, he was just naming other countries, you know, because honestly, and, you know, we had talked about this before, how we don't realize how, you know, how developed and how affluent some of the nations in Africa are. We're sort of fed this narrative. So I think it sort of feeds into what we were just discussing about Roland Martin's show and um, TV One, only because if if it's not black managed, right? So if you have two of the three, I think the the point of it is you have to have three out of three. Black ownership, black targeted, and black management. I think that that part is overlooked a lot of times where you might have a black owner who's like a more of a figurehead, right? Kathy Hughes or Russell Simmons, Oprah. you know, you know, Oprah, yeah. those kind of figurehead type people mm-hmm. who don't really get into the nuts and bolts and the day-to-day operations. So you have a black figurehead who might even own it, you know, you know, who Kathy Hughes owns it. And we're talking about Oprah, you know, she owned, own, owned, Mm -hmm. own, right, Mm -hmm. right. But is she there day to day, nuts and bolts, managing the network? Probably not. So you have a different group of people whose, you know, values and whose, you know, perspective is different than your target audience and different than your ownership. But they are the ones who actually run and manage your product or whatever it is that that you're doing. So I think it's pivotal that you have three out of three because for the one um, program on your network that is targeted towards black intellectuals, right, a news program, um, you need to find another area to cut budget. You, you, You need to find some other. Even if you scale him back to one hour. You find a way. And we can see plenty of op- options yeah. on TV one right. of shows that could be snatched with a swiftness. <laughs> because for me personally, one of the one of the best things that I particularly appreciate about Roland Martin's show here was I remember the episode he did where he took Wendy Williams to task about HBCUs. I remember that because I was yep. like, whoa, like as someone who went to an HBCU, yep. I was like, Okay, power to the people. Like, yeah. I, like, like for me, I was like, yeah, because people need to be schooled on HBCU. It was a Drop Squad episode, you know. Every once in a while, we have black people who don't know their own culture. Exactly. And Wendy Williams was schooled, and she exactly. responded yeah. appropriately. So yeah, and she's a that's a perfect example of a show that's black targeted. 
um, but it's not black owned. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Only not black managed. Like, yeah, really was. Yeah. It's a prime example. So, TV One, y'all got to do better. You got to do better. I think Roland Martin's an important voice that still needs to be heard. So, if you scale him back, scale him back, but. I don't think you need to cancel them. Or scale back some of the craziness that's on the show. It's not as crazy <laughs> as BET, but, you know, there, yeah. there are some things that, that could be eliminated first. When words fail, our images speak. Let us introduce you to Ty Nichols Photography. Ty Nichols is a company that provides their clients with quality, on-location, natural light photography that won't break the bank. They go to great lengths to make sure your visions become reality. Whether you have an elaborate idea to theme your family portrait or you just need help developing a surprise wedding proposal, they will help you with every intricate detail. Get in touch with Ty Nichols today at www.tynichols.com. That's T-A-I-N-I-C-H-O-L-S.com. Or they could be reached at 202-643-9500. Nine one, Please support our sponsors the way they support this podcast and tell them you heard about them on Across the Intersection. Some of people's one time. Let's get started. I won't teach you. Let me set apart who is my people. The ones who set in their heart to be believers. Press on to the mark to follow Jesus. When it gets hard, they be seeking the leaders. Fathers that help them heal when they are beaten. Or help them see the meaning when they're grieving. Don't follow their feelings that are being misleading. Yeah, they're the ones that keep it biblical. Keep it 100 when others say it's fictional.